As we've been going through um, this chapter, you know, we started it last week, Romans 14, verse 1 through 13 is what we looked at. Uh, Paul introduced to us the subject of uh, Christian uh, liberties. And so to be clear, what we're not talking about here in Romans 14 is we're not talking about areas that the Bible actually teaches us about. Uh, so there are plenty of things that the Bible uh, prohibits us from or, or uh, clearly gives us freedom in. Uh, but what Paul is talking about is he's talking about areas of Scripture that are not clear. The example he uses is a man who felt a restriction against eating meat. And uh, maybe it was meat that had been um, possibly sacrificed to idols, and so he wanted to keep away from it. Maybe he's talking about someone who's a Jew who is staying away from meat that a Gentile would feel comfortable eating, but under Judaism he wasn't comfortable. But Paul basically builds the case and says, look, you know, there are some people that honor certain days, or some people that you know, abstain, some people that eat, some people that worship on one day, some people that worship every day. And so how, as Christians, do we come together and kind of live in the balance together? Because you look around, you know, the church in Rome would have been a very multicultural church. It would have been a church that was multi-generational. And so when you have a lot of people coming from a lot of different backgrounds coming together because of Jesus, they have to figure out how to actually live together in some of those gray areas that the Bible doesn't talk about and gives us maybe some liberty in or that you might have a conviction in. So Paul, he gave us a main exhortation, and it's found in verse 13. We read it last week, and we'll read it again this week. He said, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. And that was our exhortation for last week. You know, let's not judge each other. And really, that exhortation is aimed towards what Paul calls the weaker brother, the person who doesn't have liberty but feels restriction in even these areas the Bible isn't clear about. And those convictions, you know, they can't eat the meat. Um, In other words, Paul is saying, look, if you have the restriction, you can't judge your brother. You can't call him carnal or fleshly or something like that if he doesn't share the same convictions that you have. Now today, we come to the second part of verse 13, where Paul says, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This is more the exhortation for the person who can eat the meat, the one who can exercise the liberty. And for that person, they have to come to a place where they make a rock-solid decision in their heart. I'm going to make sure that in my life, I don't do anything to stumble or to hinder my brother or sister in Christ Jesus. All right, so that's what we're going to look at today, uh, that in liberties, we are not to destroy or to um, damage or to stumble the faith of other believers. Let me just start out by saying, this is hard. This is difficult stuff uh, because it's very hard to please. You know, Obviously, it's impossible to please everybody. Uh, Jesus talked about this kind of difficulty and tension in his own ministry when he said to the religious leaders and the crowds, he said, you know, when John came, John would not eat and he would not drink. And you said, that he had a demon. You know, in other words, you said he was crazy. There he is. He's abstaining. He's living a very strict lifestyle. And you're saying that he's demon-possessed. I came, Jesus said, eating and drinking, and you call me a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So you see these two different men, one operating with restriction, Jesus, and a lot of contexts at least, operating with liberty, especially in comparison to the religious norms of that culture that he came to. 
uh, and you know, neither one of them could make the masses happy. It's just a difficult thing that we're walking in. So, but it's important to consider. And so we're going to look at three things today. Number one, we have to work hard not to stumble the faith of others. And number two, we have to live out personally our own faith. And number three, and this will be chapter 15, we have to look to Jesus as our example uh, in these things. So let's go on into verse 14. Paul gives us now two reasons why we want to make sure not to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. The first reason is found in verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but... It is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. All right, so listen to what Paul is saying there in verse 14. That whole meat issue, you know, Paul is saying, look, I know that the meat is not unclean. You know, he says it very certainly. He says, I know it. I'm persuaded about it. And then he says, in the Lord Jesus, that might be a reference to the teaching of Jesus in Mark chapter 7 when there was this moment the religious leaders were wondering why the disciples of Jesus didn't wash their hands in a ceremonial cleansing kind of way. It wasn't that they weren't willing to wash their hands, they weren't being gross, it's just that they weren't doing this ceremony to say, my hands are ceremonially clean. And the, the religious leaders were wondering why have Jesus' disciples ditched this tradition? Why haven't they kept it? And Jesus said to them, he said, you know, you guys have elevated the tradition of man above the word of God. And what you guys need to understand that it's not from the outside in that pollution happens. He says, actually, it's from the inside out. It's from the heart of man. And what it says in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, is that Jesus, in that moment, he was declaring all foods clean. And so maybe Paul is referencing the teaching of Jesus, but he's saying, I know, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus, and here's what I'm convinced of. He says, I am convinced that nothing is unclean in itself. <clears throat> he knows that. He's certain about it. But, but the interesting thing is that he goes on to say, there in verse 14, that anyone who thinks it's unclean, you know, the guy who thinks that the meat is unclean, Paul is saying, he's wrong. You know, it's not unclean. I know, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. It is clean. But if he thinks it's unclean, then to him it is unclean. And so what that does is that helps us understand that one of the major motivations for trying not to stumble another believer is because it might not be a sin in in these gray areas that Scripture doesn't, doesn't give us clear teaching about. It might be a liberty for you, but it could be a sin for someone else. You know, you might sit there at your dinner table, and you might have a glass of wine, you know, with your meal. And you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, like, I'm not here to get intoxicated. I'm not here to feel anything. I'm not here to put myself in an, you know, an alternate state. I'm not here to numb my mind from the pain of life. Like, no matter how the state of California votes and what we legalize, like, we're not, you know, as Christians, we don't need that. That's not what we do. We understand that we want to be sober-minded. So you might be able to sit there with that glass of wine and understand, like, there's no drunkenness intention that's there for me. Uh, However, you might be around a believer who does have that conviction. And maybe for them, because of their history, 
or maybe a family history. My father is a good example of this. His whole family, you know, every man in his family, their lives were decimated by alcohol. And so, you know, when you've experienced something like that, your conscience might be more tender. You might have a conviction there. To you, uh, it's poison. And so, you know, what Paul is saying is, you know, look, for, for me, he's saying, I know it's clean, but for a person who feels it to be unclean, it would be sin for them if they entered into it. Because for them, they feel it's unclean, so for them, it is unclean. So he goes on to say in verse 15, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. You see, the temptation of everybody is to pull everybody else into their way of thinking. So the temptation of the person with the conviction is to pull the whole church into their convictions. We talked about this last week. But the danger this week that Paul is addressing is the temptation of those who feel as Paul does, who have an understanding like Paul does, to pull everybody into their conviction. To say, you know, loosen up. Or you don't understand the truth. Or you know you've been set free. Or that is nothing. And then you might, through that persistence, you might bring someone into an activity that for you is not sin, but for them it is sin. And what you'd be doing, according to Paul in verse 15, is you'd be grieving and destroying uh, your brother or sister in Christ Jesus. This helps us, by the way, with the definition of what Paul means when he says that we're not to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of our brother. I've heard the phrase uh, stumble or the word stumble, I think, used way too lightly at times in the body of Christ. It's almost at times become a synonym for some people for I'm slightly offended at what you're doing. And so you find anything, you know, in the body that you don't like. You know, somebody's wearing jewelry that you think is a little too flashy and you're like, I'm stumbled by, you know, the way that you're, the jewelry that you're wearing or something like that. But what Paul is talking about is not just a, I'm slightly offended by you or I'm bothered by your liberty. He's talking about actually bringing someone to a place where they cross the line themselves and they enter into something that their conscience would not allow them to do. I was joking around with one of the guys earlier today. He had these real flashy uh, shoes on. And he was telling me about the shoes he's going to wear next week. And I was like, man, that's cool. You know, you have that liberty, but just don't make me do it. You know, like, because that would be, I'd be crossing the line, you know, kind of thing. And so, you know, we have to really be careful I think, you know, because clearly the word stumble, when Paul says not to stumble, he's not saying that we should mislead people. Paul is very clear. He's saying, this is clean. He's not misleading anybody, saying, maybe you're right. He says, no, it's clean, but I'm not going to cause you to cross that line uh, yourself. So in other words, what Paul is saying is the strong should not force their liberties on those who have those convictions. Uh, Maybe another way of saying it is that it's not loving to force people to move at your pace. Love slows down to the pace of other people. So one reason that we don't want to stumble is because it's sin for them if they feel that it's sin. But there's another reason that's even bigger than that reason, and it's found in verse 17 to 19. So let's read that together. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, 
You know, there's more to the kingdom of God, in other words. It's not about the externals. It's not about eating and drinking. These aren't the things that lead to spirituality. Uh, These aren't the things that make you carnal. He says, no, the kingdom of God, verse 17, is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He might be saying there that what the kingdom of God is about is righteousness with God. You know, you have the imputed righteousness of God. He favors you. He says you have worth, and so you, you receive that from God. And we're a people that are looking for worth so bad. And the gospel gives us that worth, that righteousness. And then he might be saying that peace is an inner peace. You know, within there's peace in my own heart and then joy in my relationship with other people. All of this is in the Holy Spirit. And whoever, verse 18, thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You know, I said to you that one of the first reasons that we would say we don't want to stumble other believers is because for them, if it's sin... It is sin. So you don't want to drag anybody into something that would be sin for them. Uh, But beyond that, another big reason that Paul is saying there is that there's so much more to the kingdom of God. And maybe to say it in a, you know, straightforward kind of way. Do you think it's attractive to the world when Christians sit around arguing about things like Christmas trees and trick-or-treating and wine and things like that? You know, these are not attract, these are not things that make the gospel attractive to people. And they actually distract and dilute from the potency of the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so for us as believers, we have to understand that we don't want to stumble people because there's so much more to life in the kingdom. And, you know, if you have liberty, then you need to understand that. Because you might at times be called to set down a liberty. Paul would do that from time to time, and we'll see that a little bit later in this text. Paul would do that from time to time. Jesus would do that from time to time with full knowledge, uh, setting aside a liberty for the sake of someone else. Or maybe you are clinging to a conviction. Man, you've got to understand the kingdom of God is about so much more than eating and drinking, but it is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Our our little liberties and our little convictions aren't at all what the kingdom of God is all about. Amen? There's so much more to this. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And, you know, with that great commission, he gave to us a real reason for existence. My reason for existence isn't any of my liberties or any of my convictions. My reason for existence is is that there's a work left to be done. I want to glorify and honor God with the life that he's given to me uh, here on earth. There's a beautiful little thing, though, that I see there in verse 19. Maybe you saw it there. He says, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding." You know, this is like the rule. We're, we're wanting to upbuild each other. But he calls it mutual upbuilding. This is great because sometimes people with liberties think that people with convictions have nothing for them. And people with convictions think that people with liberties have nothing for them. But Paul says, no, we can actually mutually upbuild each other. There are times where someone, perhaps with a liberty, might be able to set another brother or sister in Christ who has been maybe enslaved to a little bit of legalism. You can help set them free. 
You can teach them the truth of the gospel. Maybe they've made their lives and their spirituality about externals, asceticism, forms, religiosity that Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 are of no value in combating the indulgence or the tendencies of the flesh. So someone with liberty might be able to declare the gospel to someone who maybe is a little, maybe it's not just a pure conviction, but they're entrapped in some old legalism. But someone who has a conviction might be able to upbuild someone with a liberty by saying, hey, make sure that you are more passionate for the cause of Christ than you are for your liberty. Make sure that you are more devoted to the kingdom of God and what God is doing here on earth than your little thing that you're so excited that Jesus set you free for. Make sure that you are serious about uh, the Christian life. And so we have an opportunity to mutually upbuild each other is what Paul is saying. Okay, in verse 20, we move on to our next uh, real little section where Paul wants to tell us not only are we to work hard not to stumble, but we also are to really take our own personal faith seriously. We've got to live it out uh, for others, but more so to God. And so he says it this way in verse 20. He says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So again, he's repeating the rule, uh, reiterating it. You know, you don't want to exercise a liberty that would actually bring someone else where you're influencing them and bringing them uh, into sin. And sometimes you see this with younger believers who get really excited. They've been set free in Jesus. They start realizing, hey, the Bible's clear about a lot of different things, but there's some areas that... You know, the Bible gives me some freedom in, that God gives me some freedom in. And they maybe want to flaunt that a little bit. And so, you know, social media is a lot of times a great place where they'll go and maybe flaunt a liberty and maybe damage the conscience of someone else. You don't want to do that. Uh, you want to make sure that you're not destroying the work of God in someone else's life. You don't want to stumble someone. Now, Paul's thing, though, because it's really interesting, because if you look at the life of Jesus, there were so many times that he attacked someone's convictions, and he would just blow right through them. Like, for instance, the whole culture he was in thought certain things about the Sabbath day. They had all these man-made requirements that they'd added on to the Scripture. The Bible hadn't told them to behave that way, but they had behaved that way. And Jesus would blow through all of those cultural things in order to say, look, you guys are standing on something that's tradition, not the Word of God. And Paul was a lot like that. There were times where he would lay down his liberty, but there were also times that he would really fight for it. And I think the thing that he would go after was, if it was legalism, he would fight against it. If it was mere conviction, he would let it be. And there's a passage in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul talks about a time, and we don't see it in the book of Acts, so it's an extra kind of uh, story, where he was with... Um, Peter and Barnabas and other Jewish Christian leaders, but they weren't in Jerusalem. They were in another faraway city where there were lots of Gentile believers. And Peter, there with all these Gentile Christians, uh, he was taking the liberty that was his in Christ. 
And so he was eating like a Gentile. He'd grown up his whole life eating like a Jew because that's what he was. But Jesus had said to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And he was doing that with all these Gentiles. And so he's like, I don't, I don't know, he's like eating ham sandwiches and stuff, you know, with all these Gentile believers. Then this moment came where Jewish believers came from the church in Jerusalem to visit. And Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter and Barnabas and all the other Jewish Christians, they removed themselves and went to hang out with these other Jewish believers, and they began eating like they would have eaten under Judaism. And they were separating themselves from the Gentiles. And Paul looked at that, and he was so angry. He didn't say, oh, that's just your conviction. He looked at them, and he said, no, I know you've already come to the conclusion that all food is declared clean by God. And so he said, when I determined, this is in Galatians 2, 11 to 14, he said, I determined when I saw Peter acting in a way that was not in line with the gospel, he stood up and he began to rebuke Peter and Barnabas and those who had gone with them and publicly you know, stood up against them for behaving in this kind of way. So, you know, there are times where we just say, I don't want to stumble someone. And then there are times that we become champions for the gospel. And Paul is reiterating that kind of concept in there in verse 20 and verse 21. But then he goes on to say in verse 22, and I want you to read this with me because I think sometimes an emphasis is put on it that's a little too strong. He says, the faith that you have, right? Now, when he says that, he's not saying the justifying faith that you have. He's talking about your personal either liberties or conviction. He says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Okay? The, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. The question here that we would ask is, um, is Paul saying then that a conviction that I have or a liberty that I have, I should only practice it in total isolation and in secrecy or in private? Is that his emphasis? And, you know, my answer to that is I don't think that that's what Paul is saying because for a few different reasons. One is the whole flow of what he seems to be saying right now is each one of us needs to go to God to get those liberties and convictions from him. And so I think that what he's emphasizing isn't do it in private. I think what he's emphasizing is respond to God. Whatever you've got, whatever faith you've got before God, you better keep that before God. And, and then also, I think about Paul and the way he lived. He was actually very public about his liberties. He's putting it right there in the black and white pages of Scripture. He's saying, I've determined what is right, and I've determined what is wrong, and here's where my liberties are at. And Jesus was the same way. It's just that there were moments where they knew that they didn't want to drag someone into crossing a line that was in their own heart. Now, does that mean that there aren't moments where it's wise for a Christian to partake of a liberty just more in private and not broadcasting it and making a big deal about it? And I think that that's true. There are definitely times for wisdom and for love's sake, if you have a liberty in a certain area, it's good for you to just kind of practice that in private uh, from time to time. But I'm with Ray Steadman, who said years ago, he said, in a study on this passage, he said, you know, sometimes it's actually good for those with a liberty 
if they're not going to stumble or destroy or grieve or harm the faith of someone else with that conviction, sometimes it's actually good for them to live out that liberty in front of other believers because it might be a teaching, training kind of moment for that weaker believer to come to a place of revelation and teaching and gain a little bit of liberty in their own life and maybe be set free in the gospel. But again, the question is, as long as you're not destroying or hurting, harming the faith, Uh, of another. But there are times where it's just polite and wise to keep a liberty or even a conviction private and before the Lord. But Paul seems to be saying, whatever faith you have, you know, whatever liberty or conviction you've come to with God, you've got to keep that. He continues that same idea on through verse 22 when he says, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself or what he approves, you know. So he's able to live in these liberties without this guilt hanging over his head. But, verse 23, whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So again, you might, somebody might have been reading Romans 14 there in early Rome. And they might have been coming to the conclusion, rightly, that that meat was nothing and that it was clean. And they might have been reading there in Scripture that they didn't have to eat only the vegetables and that they were set free by the gospel. They could have read that. But when they sat down before that meat, there could have just been a practical experience where they were all weirded out about it. And as they were weirded out and that doubt was there in their heart, they just needed to push that plate away and say, I cannot do it. You know, last week I joked about the gray area of whether, it's, whether a cat is a legitimate pet or not. And I joked around about that. And you guys were nice. You didn't, you know, rebuke me about it or anything during the week. But, you know, carrying that forward, you know, if, if I had that conviction, you know, which I don't. I'm just joking around about it. But if I had that conviction, you know, a cat is really not a legitimate pet. I guess I do have that conviction. I don't know. Don't judge me. <laughs> But, you know, if I had that and someone just kept saying, like, hey, it's, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. This is not, this, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible isn't clear on that. That's not something that's forbidden from you. You can do this. And then I invited a cat into my home. Every day I'd be looking at that cat going, man, I feel weird about this. You know, I, I, I shouldn't have done it. And, you know, obviously I'm using a humorous illustration for these sensitive uh, kind of things. But Paul is saying, look, if you have that doubt in your heart, if you have a concerned conscience, you just can't go there. You need to push it away. You cannot enter into that liberty. All right, so again, a lot of prayer, a lot of love, a lot of grace with each other, you know, in this kind of um, activity in our lives. Let's look at Jesus, though. He's a good example for us. He is the preeminent example, of course, in all things. And Paul talks of him in chapter 15. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, you guys have already guessed at this point that Paul was one of the strong uh, based on everything that he said and that he wasn't the one with the conviction who he described as weak. But here in verse 1, he actually says it out loud. He says, we who are strong. He puts himself in the camp of the strong. Because, you know, he'd been set free. He had liberty. But he said, you know, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, 
the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So the big exhortation here is that Paul's actually taking it a step further. You know, because a lot of people will argue about their convictions or argue about their liberties. But Paul is building a case for a third way. It's the way of love. It's the way of Jesus. And it's the way of saying, look, my aim is not to please myself. Uh, my, my whole desire is to be a blessing to other people. And that's how Jesus operated in his life. You know, there were times that Jesus bent to the convictions of others. He paid taxes. He went to the various festivals. He went to the cross. And then there were times that Jesus partook of liberty. Like I said earlier, he ditched the hand-washing ceremony. He was seen as a glutton and a drunkard. He got rid of the Sabbath regulations that weren't scriptural. And, you know, it was very hard for him to please everyone. But the things that he did, he did not to please himself, but to please others. When Jesus stepped out of eternity, he left the right hand of the Father. That was his rightful position. And instead of saying, I deserve this, this is my liberty, Jesus said, I'm going to set aside my liberty in order to extend myself for humanity so that I can save them. That's what it looks like, really purely, to not please ourselves, but to please others. And there were times in Paul's life that he would do this in pretty radical ways. You know, one example is in Paul's life, he you know, he had left Jerusalem years ago, and he'd gone throughout all Europe and Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he had been preaching the gospel. And, you know, primarily, he had a ministry that was directed at Gentile people. So he's living with all these Gentiles, and he's not putting Judaism as a restriction upon them. He's not teaching them that. So after years of doing this, he came back to Jerusalem, and um, it's pretty clear that the church in Jerusalem was a little paranoid about Paul because the church in Jerusalem, you know, they were primarily Jewish, obviously, there in Jerusalem. And as primarily a Jewish church, they had clung to a lot of the old forms of Judaism. So they heard about this radical guy named Paul going around preaching to Gentiles who had backgrounds that were different from them and convictions that were different from them. And they heard that Paul wasn't putting Judaism on them and everything. And so they were a little nervous about Paul. And so the church leaders, when Paul came into Jerusalem, they talked with him and they said, hey, uh, the church here is a little skittish about you. So, and they think you're a little radical and a little out there with your liberties. So would you be willing to go through a ceremonial cleansing ceremony that's very uh, uh, Jewish from Judaism And would you be willing to pay for four men who are Jews to also go through the same purification process and fulfill a Jewish vow that they have made to God? Would you be willing to do that as a way of communicating to the Jewish church here that, uh, or the primarily Jewish church here, that it's okay if they have those convictions? And so Paul, he went along with it, actually. He said, yeah, I'm fine. I'll do that. He didn't stand up at that moment and champion the liberty and all that. He just said, I'll lower myself. I won't please myself in that moment. There was another time for the Gentile church uh, when Paul was in Corinth. And he was there for over a year and a half, 18 months, uh, and uh, after an initial three-month thrust of ministry. And so he was there for a while. And while he was there, he didn't let the church in Corinth 
um, pay him a salary or provide for his needs. He, he had a trade that he'd learned when he was younger to make tents, and so he did that. He built tents and paid for his own way as a single man, a missionary there uh, in Corinth. And when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 9 to the church in Corinth, he said to them, you know, when I was there, I didn't let you pay me. And he, sa- and he said, but it was my right and my liberty to receive payment from you. And then he actually went on and he built the, one of the strongest biblical cases for compensation for gospel work. It was an eight-point argument, eight reasons why he had that liberty and eight reasons why he had that right. But at the end of that, he said, but Barnabas and I, we made a decision to refuse ourselves that liberty. And I've been thinking about that this last week, and I've been sort of wondering, and, and just sort of the question I've been asking myself is, how many times has there been something that I've had that rock solid of a conviction about, that rock solid of a knowledge about, like an eight-point biblical, this is right kind of thing, and yet I've been able to say, but I'll walk away from it for the blessing of someone else. You know, their conviction goes beyond maybe even where Scripture is at, but I'll honor them in their conviction. Paul was willing to do that. He laid down his life uh, in that kind of way. All right, so we get that from Jesus. We look to Jesus, right? You know, he laid down his life uh, for us. But we also notice in verse 4, we get to read the Bible and get encouraged in the same thing. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice, this is what we want, one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So even with different liberties and different convictions, we can still, Paul is saying, with one voice glorify God. Therefore, verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What Paul's saying there in verse 4 to 7 is he's drawing our attention to the Bible, the Old Testament, you know, for them, and all of Scripture for us. He says, what was written in the former days was written to instruct us that we might get from the God who gives endurance and the God who gives encouragement that from the Scripture we might receive from God the endurance and the encouragement that we need. Let me tell you what that means. You know, you can hear the gospel, and you know you can be presented with the more beautiful life. All right, and the more beautiful life is the life that says, "I'm not going to cling to myself, but I'm going to lay down my life for the blessing of others. I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross." And follow after him. That's a description of the more blessed life. Okay? But the problem is, we can't just hear that one time and then make a decision that lasts for the rest of our lives and say, you know what I'm gonna do? I am going to always deny myself, take up my cross, and follow after Jesus. There will never be a moment in the rest of my life that I don't get selfish once again. All right, We just can't do that because the self is there. It's very strong. No, we need encouragement and we need endurance to be able to do the work. And what Paul is telling us is that we get that endurance and we get that encouragement from God who gives it to us in the Bible. Because when you read the Bible, you come across so many verses and passages 
and examples in Scripture that are going to show you that it is better to deny yourself and that when you do, you actually don't lose a thing, but that you actually gain the better life. You know, you read the Old Testament and you see the time when Abraham stood up with his younger nephew, Lot. And it was Abraham's right to say to Lot, look, our, our flocks are too big, our households are too big, I'll decide where I'm going to go, and you go in the opposite direction. But instead, he looked at Lot and he said, Lot, wherever you choose, go for it. And I'll take the lower road and I'll go in the opposite direction. Or we look at Jonathan, who saw David. And Jonathan, who was the descendant of Saul, the son of Saul, the rightful heir to the throne in Israel. But he looked at David and he said, you're better than I. You deserve the throne. I know you deserve the throne. I know that God has given it to you. And he takes off his you know, kingly garments and he gives them to, to David. Or we see John the Baptist, who, as you know, his ministry exploded, but then it began to dwindle, and his disciples were worried about it. But he says, no, I must decrease so that Jesus can increase. And we look at these people who took the low road, who denied themselves, who said, I'm not going to fight to please myself. We look at these people now, and we're encouraged. We're given endurance because we see they did not lose anything. But that as they denied themselves, God actually blessed them in really abundant, powerful, beautiful ways. You know, when I run in a race, or if you've ever run in a race, you know that a lot of times there will be these aid stations, you know, that you run up to. And the whole, the whole thing is to kind of refuel, get some more water, or electrolytes, or food. You know, some of these races are rid- ridiculous, and they'll have, like, uh, you know, cookies and uh, candy and stuff like that, just to get, like, sugar into your uh, system as quickly as possible. I remember I was running this one race one time where it came to it to the point, it was like the last aid station, and uh, I hadn't, you know, gone for it yet, but I went for it, and I, start, and I got a handful of Nutter Butters. Anybody like Nutter Butters? You know, I got a handful of Nutter Butters. And as I left the aid station, there I am running with these Nutter Butters in my hand, and it was the one time on the whole course that the photographer was there. You know, and they, he's, like, down on his knee, like, ready to take pictures. So I, like, clutched the Nutter Butters in my hand. I, like, shielded the Nutter Butters. And I was like, there's no way I'm taking a picture with Nutter Butters, you know, in this picture. My one chance, you know. But, you know, those aid stations are there to give you the strength to keep going. And, you know, in the conviction that we have to live like Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after Him, the Bible will give you so often the endurance that is needed as you read the Scriptures and as you think on them to to be able to live this laying down of your rights uh, kind of life. All right, Paul goes on, and we see our last example about Jesus in verse 8 and following. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, And he quotes from Psalm 18, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 32. And again it is said, 
Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, verse 11 from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, from Isaiah 11, he says, uh, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. That's the descendant of David. And even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. What, what's Paul saying here with this big cluster of Old Testament verses about the future glory of the Gentile world? He's saying that when Jesus came, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to save the world. He wanted to save people regardless of whether they were Jew or Gentile. He wanted to reach everybody. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When Jesus came, he wanted to reach the Gentile world. But when he came, he submitted himself to exclusively and only ministering to Jews. Now, primarily, there were a couple of little moments where he ministered outside of Israel. But for the most part, he did what Paul said in verse 8. He became a servant to the circumcised. He lived like a Jew. He uh, fulfilled the laws of Judaism He was circumcised as a baby. He ate kosher food during his life, even though he knew it was all clean. He he was baptized by his cousin John like he was a sinner, even though he wasn't. He went, like he said, to the lost sheep of Israel first. And when Jesus did that, what Paul is saying is, look at how he laid down his liberty. What he wanted to do so bad was to reach the Gentiles, but he put that on pause so that he could reach the Jewish people first, who would ultimately then go out and reach into the Gentile world. And so with that, we see the burning desire of Jesus put on pause for someone else. And that helps us in this whole subject of liberties, because you might have something that you really want to do, but there might be times where you'd say, no, it's good for me to put it on pause for the blessing of someone else. And then Paul says in verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And really, with that, you know, the end of Romans 15, verse 13, we're kind of at the end of Paul's letter, basically. Uh, I know we have another chapter and a half to go, and we will get to it. Uh, But really what it is is some travel plans and some closing uh, kind of... Uh, references that Paul's going to make to the Roman church. So it's more personal in nature. But the gospel that he wanted to clarify, the gospel that he wanted to teach and then unpack, that's from Romans 1.16 all the way to Romans 5, verse 13. So if you've been here this year studying the book of Romans, good job. You know, we've been looking at the gospel and the applications, the implications of the gospel uh, in our own lives. And maybe we'd say this to our own hearts. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing this gospel message so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we might abound in hope. That's what the gospel does to us. Amen? All right, so let me just say this. You know, in this subject of liberties and convictions, there's no chance that we're going to do this perfectly right now here on earth. No chance. It's sloppy. It's messy. There are times that we'll offend each other unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. We have to have a lot of grace, a lot of love, a lot of patience for each other in this. But let me give you this hope. The day is coming, we learn in Revelation 5, 
where every tribe and nation and tongue, people from every culture and class and society who have come under the truth of the gospel, believed in Jesus, we're going to be gathered together and we're going to be singing to God. We're going to be loving God perfectly, which we don't do now. And we're going to be loving each other perfectly, which we don't do now. And uh, I'm looking forward to that moment. You know, I'm going to look around in that time, and you are as well. And we're going to say, now this is church. This is good, man. Every, every conversation, every, every interaction, it's going to be pure and right and good. And we look forward uh, to that day. But, but in the meantime, we have charity and love above all things. So, Father, we just thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. We do pray that you'd help us, Lord. It's so easy to get all fired up about a conviction or all fired up about a liberty. But we pray, Lord, and ask that you'd give us the wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom to know when to be champions of the gospel and uh, to combat, Lord, legalism, even in our own hearts. And Lord, then give us the wisdom to know when we need to have patience, Lord, with others and to bear with someone's convictions or weaknesses. And give us, Lord, the wisdom and the grace when we have those convictions, Lord, and those restrictions, to be cool with those who have those liberties uh, in Christ. Help us, Lord, to be able to have fellowship with one another, even in the midst of our differences. So we thank you, Lord, for the oneness that we have in Christ Jesus. We love you this morning, and we pray, Lord, that you embed this into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.